picture, the Antichrist signs a seven-year covenant with Israel, the peace treaty, and then the tribulation is going to be seven years long. When the Antichrist signs that peace treaty, that will begin the tribulation period, and uh, it will last for seven years. In the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years in, Antichrist will break the covenant with Israel, and um, then the second three and a half years is what most theologians refer to as the Great Tribulation. Terrible time. Um, Jesus described it in Matthew chapter 24 as being a time of tribulation and trouble such as never had, has been or ever will be. And at the end of that, we have the Battle of Armageddon, the second coming of Christ, the thousand-year millennial reign, the judgment seat of Christ, and eternity. And I'm losing my stuff up here. All right. So, anyway, we are in that uh, portion there uh, right after in the book of Revelation here. Our study is right after the rapture of the church. Now, last time, week before last... We uh, covered chapter 4, you remember that? And there shouldn't be a break at all between, actually, between chapter 4 and 5. We would have continued on if we had had time, but we just didn't have the time to cover both chapters. But there shouldn't be a break uh, between chapter 4 and 5 because it is the same scene in chapter 5 as is in chapter 4, and it's the throne room of God. John's been called up into heaven, and uh, he is in the throne room of God, and what he is seeing and what he is recording in Revelation 4 and 5 is taking place in God's throne room. But the focus begins to shift in chapter 5. It begins to shift now to the one seated on the throne and to the right hand of God who is seated on the throne. Now, in this uh, fifth chapter of Revelation, and we'll be reading here in just a little bit, but God is seen sitting on the throne, and he's holding in his right hand a sealed scroll. And this scroll or this book is sealed with seven seals, and it never has been opened. And so this seven-sealed scroll is one of the keys that uh, is given here to understanding the rest of the book of Revelation. Now, to understand a little bit about the scroll, it's a book, uh, it's a scroll or book that is an official document of the last days, this scroll is, of the last days of human history and the climactic events that are going to take place in the near future. And so the world's future is about to be unfolded here as we get into the book of, of uh, or into the chapter number six, which we'll cover next week. But um, so God is holding this scroll in his hand. And so the very fact that we'll see that God has this scroll in his right hand shows us something about this whole scenario, and that is that God himself is in control of these events. All right? Those, uh, and you know, as I mentioned, someone said to me, well, you know, they didn't read the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation was scary, and it scared them. But those who know the Lord Jesus Christ uh, have nothing to fear at all about the events that take place here in the book of Revelation. If you remember going back to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10, I believe it was the church at Philadelphia that Jesus said to them, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So as, as we have taught you and said, the, the church es escapes the events that are getting ready to take place in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. Amen. So there shouldn't be any fear about anything that is coming here. The only fear that anybody needs 
to have is if they're not ready to make the rapture. The only fear that you need to have if your heart's not right with the Lord and you're left behind and you're not caught up when the church is raptured out. That would be something to be concerned about and to be afraid of. But if you were saved tonight, there's nothing to fear, all right? Because the Lord is coming for His church. So let's look at Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read the first four verses of Revelation chapter 5. Verse number 1 says this, John said, And I saw in the right hand of Him who sat, who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So John said, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Praise God. Father, we ask your blessing upon the ministry of your word tonight. Have your way in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. This uh, scroll, somebody would say, well, what is this scroll? Everybody know what a scroll is. In Bible days, they didn't, I think the King James calls it a book, but uh, they didn't have books like we have today with pages in them like we have today. But what they did, what they did have was papyrus, and uh, they, would, they would write on that. There were sheets of papyrus that were 8 by 10, not much, about the size of an 8 and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And they would, they would write and record in three rows on those pages. The pages would be joined together and rolled up on a stick in a scroll. When they went to read it, they would unroll the scroll to read it. So this is a scroll that is in the right hand of God. But the scroll, what is it? What does the scroll mean? What's the significance of it? The scroll that God holds in his hand is the title deed to the earth to which Christ has the right to ownership by way of creation and by way of his redemptive work on the cross. Now, a little bit about a title deed. You have to really, you just have to know a little bit about the history of, uh, of, the, of Israel and Jewish history. But initially, a title deed would be written only on the smooth side of that scroll and sealed with one seal. If you'll notice um, here, it says that this scroll was written on, on, the fr on the front and on the back side, on both sides. But there was a smooth side to the parchment, and there was a rough side. And generally, they only would write on the smooth side and then seal it up. But if the owner, and we're talking about a, a title deed, but if the owner of that property became unable to meet the financial obligations that he had, he would have to relinquish the title deed to his property. And so when he did that, upon the back side of that deed, on that rough side, would be written all of his debts, and then they would place seven seals upon that. There were seven years that that parchment or that scroll was set aside. And during that time, he had the opportunity to redeem it or a kinsman redeemer could redeem that lost property for him. So if any time during the ensuing seven years he could pay off his debts, the seal would be broken and the title deed would be returned to him and his property that he had lost would be restored. So here we're looking at the title deed of this planet. Now what does that have to do with anything? We need to understand something that this title deed to earth was originally given to Adam by God in the Garden of Eden. When God created Adam and put him in that garden, God gave Adam dominion over the entire earth. 
He gave him, you know, God created it, put Adam in it, and gave him dominion. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28 talks about that and tells us that God said to him, you have dominion over the earth, you subdue the earth, you have the control of it. God gave him the title deed of the earth. But something took place. Something happened, as we know, and Adam forfeited his right to ownership when he sinned against the Lord. When he disobeyed God and ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, this act of sin and rebellion then, it was actually an act of treason against God, and this act of rebellion transferred the title deed of this planet from the hand of Satan or, or Adam to the hand of Satan. That is why that Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul refers to Satan and calls the devil what? He calls him the God of this world. God with a little g. He's not divine. He's not deity. We all know who Satan is. He was, he was known as Lucifer. He's a fallen angel that rebelled against God and became uh, an evil angel. That was the origin of sin. The origin of evil did not come from God. It came from Satan when sin was found in Lucifer's heart. So Paul refers then to the devil, to Satan as the God, the little g, God of this world. He's also referred to by Jesus. Jesus called him the prince of this world. He's referred to as the prince of the power of the air. So we know that there was a transaction that took place. There was, a, there was a, an exchange of authority that took place. When Adam fell, the authority God had given him was transferred to Satan. Are you with me? The authority of the world was delivered to Satan by Adam. Now, there's another place that I want to look at in the Bible that, that illustrates this, that gives us some insight into this, and this was during the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. You remember when Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness? He goes into the wilderness, and he goes through those three different temptations by the devil. And the Bible tells us this. In Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, it says that then the devil take, taking him, Jesus, up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, listen, here's what the devil said to Jesus in this temptation. He said, all this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. And I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You remember this temptation. But do you notice the temptation where Satan makes the statement to Jesus and says, All this authority shows him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he says, All this authority I'll give to you and their glory for this. Notice he says, For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomsoever I wish. When was it delivered to him? It was delivered to him when Adam bowed his knee to him and disobeyed God and committed that sin, that act of high treason. The transfer was made of that authority. Somebody said, you know, somebody have said, well, the devil was just lying here. He was, wasn't telling the truth. Jesus did not say he was lying. Why didn't Jesus say, why, you can't do that. It doesn't belong to you. He didn't say that. He did not dispute what Satan said, but he answered him with the word of God, and he said, Get behind me, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So the title deed of the authority and the dominion of this earth that was given to Adam, he forfeited it 
in his fall and delivered it to Satan. So when people say, and you hear this all the time, ladies and gentlemen, people say this all the time. People that don't know anything about the Bible or anything about God, they'll say, well, you know, if God is so good and God is so loving, then why are there wars and why is there cancer and why are there floods and disease and rape and murder? Why does all this happen in the world? Well, you know what the problem is? They're trying to blame it all on God, and they're blaming the wrong one. I said they're blaming the wrong person. The planet that God gave into the hands of man was absolutely perfect. There was no disease. There was no sickness. There was no sin. There wasn't anything bad. It was completely perfect. And it's not God's fault. God is not to blame. It's man that is the one to blame because he turned it over to Satan. All of the disease, all of the, uh, the, the, the disease, the floods, the storms, the destruction, everything that we see taking place in the world today, God is not the one to blame. Satan is the one that is taking that authority and using it for destruction. Are you listening to me? Somebody said, well, how do you know that? Because when God comes back and regains that, that title deed back, hallelujah, come on, and that authority is gained back and Satan is dispossessed and disposed of, there won't be any more destruction and sickness and sin and trouble and heartache and disaster. Amen? Praise the Lord. So don't blame God for all the mess that's going on in the world today. Lay the blame where it belongs. The devil is the one that's the problem. Somebody said, well, why didn't God do something about the devil? Hey, get ready. He's going to. I said, he's going to. The mystery of God, we'll get into that a little bit when we get over in Revelation chapter 10. But in Revelation chapter 10 and 7, it's, it, it talks about the mystery of God. And that mystery of God, you know what that mystery is? The mystery of God pertains to the reason why that God has allowed Satan to continue his reign on earth for these thousands of years. And people ask that question, why doesn't God do something? Well, he's going to do something. And why has it been so long? We don't know exactly. Some uh, have the idea, and there's, there's some teaching, and some Bible scholars believe this, that when God gave the title deed to Adam in the garden that there was a lease attached to it or a time limit. Some say 6,000 years. And when he transferred that then to Satan that that time limit was still there. So God's just waiting for the time to be fulfilled and the lease is up and when that's up the jig is up for the devil ladies and gentlemen. God is going to do something. Jesus has already done something something. Amen. He's already paid the price for our redemption. But how many of y'all know that total full redemption has not been recognized or realized yet? It's been paid for. Your soul and spirit, your spirit is redeemed. Your soul is being, being, um, being renewed every day and restored, right? But listen, your body's not been redeemed yet. The price has been paid for it, but you're still aging. We still get gray hair. We still, you know, get weak. And I can't run or do what I used to do when I was 30 years old today. Amen. Why? Because it, my body hasn't been redeemed yet. This earth, the price is paid, but it's not been redeemed yet. But it's getting ready to take place. God's sitting on the throne here in heaven with the title deed to the earth, and he's looking for somebody that's worthy to loose the seals and open it up and take back the authority that Adam lost 6,000 years ago, and it's getting ready to take place. It's getting ready to take place. Amen? Hallelujah. So the lost land in Israel's time could be redeemed by a kinsman redeemer. The seven-sealed scroll contains the terms of earth's redemption. And the only one that was worthy to open the 
the scroll to loose the seals was the kinsman redeemer, the one who would come on the scene that would pay the price, that would pay the debt for the one that had lost his property. And then when the debt was paid, the seals were loosed, the title deed was opened up, and it was returned back to the rightful owner. So that's what's taking place in Revelation 5 in heaven. Verse 2 says that John saw, he said, Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose the seals? Now, here's the question. A strong angel doesn't say who it was. Some feel probably it was Michael, the archangel, don't know. Could have been Gabriel, but it was a strong angel that proclaimed with a loud voice. John heard him say, who is worthy to open this scroll? Who's worthy to loose these seals? Who's worthy? Who's able to meet these requirements? Now, notice, it doesn't say who's willing to open it, who's willing to take control who's willing to take the control of the earth because there have been a lot of people over the, the millennium that has, uh, you know, been willing to do that. There have been a lot that have wanted to conquer the earth and rule the earth. Alexander the Great was willing to do it. Genghis Khan was willing to do it. Napoleon wanted to do it. Hitler was willing. Hillary or uh, Hitler was willing. Amen. <laughs> there have been a lot of people, a lot of people who have said, I want to be in power. I want to rule. Give me a crack at it. Let me see what I can do. But the angel here in heaven doesn't ask who's willing, but the angel asks who is worthy to take the scroll and loose the seals. And no one was found. No one was found in heaven. Not one single man of all the billions who have lived on the earth, not one was fit to rule or to reign. And so what this shows, when a search was made through heaven and through earth and and you know under the earth it said in verse number three no one was found that was able or worthy to open the book or to look thereon that shows the total failure of human civilization I mean not the apostle Paul not the apostle Peter no man was found worthy there was total failure of human civilization and so when John gets this word that no one is worthy to loose the seals no one can open this 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 title deed of the earth John begins to weep he begins to weep much because no one worthy is found to open that scroll verse number four it says that I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and read the scroll neither to look thereon no one comes forward ladies and gentlemen, to reclaim the earth's title deed for the first time. And when John hears this, when John sees this, he begins to weep, he begins to sob, and it's the very first time, for the first time, a man is sobbing and shedding tears within the walls of heaven. John wept in shame for all the sons of Adam's ruined race, that not one was worthy to take up this challenge. That Greek word that is that is translated wept much means he sobbed, he sobbed, sobbed with convulsions or convulsively. John was overcome and overwhelmed with grief when he realized that the earth, and this is what he realized, there was no one could take this title deed back. There was no one could open these seals. And John wept so because he realized that the earth would have to then remain under Satan's control forever. But, wait a minute. While he is weeping over this, there's a glorious announcement that is made. And verse 5 said that one of the elders said to John, Do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. 
as John stood there, choked with sobs, one of the elders came over to him, and he gently wiped away the tears from John's eyes, and he said, don't weep. Don't, 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 don't weep anymore. He, he, he said, there's no need to weep because there is one who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose the seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to open the seals and open the scroll and to loose the seal. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. That word prevailed that is used there is the Greek word nekaio. And it's where we get our English word. Some of y'all might have these tennis shoes on, Nike. It's where we get that word Nike, and it's from Nikaio, and it means victor or conqueror. So Jesus Christ has prevailed. He's the victor. He's the conqueror. He's the overcomer. He's the victor and the conqueror of death, hell, and of Satan. Amen? We sang about it tonight. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. Jesus at the cross and the shedding of his blood has totally and completely defeated the powers of darkness and stripped Satan of his authority and crushed his head. It was prophesied from Genesis 3.15 in the very garden right after the fall. It said that, you know, that, that curse was placed upon Satan. And God spoke that word of prophecy and gave that first messianic prophecy and said you will bruise his heel speaking of Christ but he said he will bruise and crush your head thank God for the victory thank God that Jesus is the conqueror tonight amen Jesus Christ has full authority and sovereignty and respect to the contents of that seven sealed book and there is only one that does the search was made and and the and the elder said to John don't weep don't sob hey there's good news it's not over we found one there is one who is worthy to loose the seals and open the book there is one that can and will and has reclaimed the earth hallelujah for God almighty and it is the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David the Lord Jesus Christ amen Hallelujah. So John turns to look. He's expecting to see a big lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah was the kingly tribe. He, Judah was the tribe that Christ was a part of. He's the root of David. He has the royal rights to the throne. And so John turns expecting to see a massive roaring lion. And verse 6 says that, he says, that, and, and I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lion, stood a lamb, as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. So when John, he gets his tears wiped away, the, 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 elder, the elder says, the, the lion of the tribe of Judas prevailed. He turns toward the throne to see what he's expecting to be, a massive lion. And instead of a lion, John sees a lamb standing that had been slain, a slain lamb that was standing. Or is anybody with me tonight? A slain lamb that was standing. Uh, well, you know, slain dead lambs don't stand, do they? But slain resurrected lambs do. Hallelujah. So it's not pointing, it's pointing not only to the crucifixion of Christ, but he was the one that was slain, that was dead, the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world, and he is alive forevermore. So it's pointing to Christ, the Lamb, 
His hands, his feet, his side still bear the marks of the crucifixion. Are you hearing me? You know what? And You've heard this before. The only thing in heaven that is man-made, that will be in heaven for eternity, that is made by the hands of man, are the crucifixion marks in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The scars on his head, the the the. the nail prints in his wrists, his feet, where the spear went into his side, where he was whipped and beaten at the whipping post. The scars of Calvary are the only things made by mankind that will, that are in heaven and will be there for, for all of eternity. Amen. And as a reminder, when you look at Jesus, when we see him, those Calvary scars will be there to remind us of the price that was paid. I can't say it enough. I can't emphasize it enough, ladies and gentlemen, that it's all about Jesus. He's the one here in the midst of all this. He's in the midst of the throne. He's in the midst of heaven. He's the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. He was crucified, but he was resurrected. And he ascended and he's alive tonight. Praise God for the Lamb. He is worthy. I said, He is worthy. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. Praise God. The Lord Jesus is referred to directly as the Lamb. You know, you. You think about this. We think about, we know him as the Lamb of God, but he's referred to directly as the Lamb only two times in the Old Testament, only two times in the Gospels. And that's bo- both of those times are in John 1, verse 29 36. He's directly referred to as the Lamb only once in the book of Acts. And only once in the epistles. But it's, it's so revealing that when you read the book of Revelation, you find in the book of Revelation he's referred to as the Lamb 28 times in the book of Revelation. Praise God. Because why? Because it is the, we, we found it out the very first night in the introduction to this book because this is not the revelation of the Antichrist. This is not the revelation of Satan. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And 28 times in this book, he's referred to as the Lamb. Hallelujah. And everything that's going to happen, that everything thing that has happened. He is a lamb that came to save us. He is the lamb that came to redeem us. And as the lamb, he has come back and will come back to subdue this planet and put the devil where he belongs and make everything right again. The lamb is the conqueror tonight. Hallelujah. The word lamb that is used here in Revelation 5 is the Greek word that is used for a small pet lamb. A small pet lamb. That's what it's used for. Used at, uh, that's the word that is used. And it's, it's interesting to me because in Revelation, I, I, you know, in the book of Revelation, we see Satan later on in chapter 12 as a great red dragon. We see the Antichrist in chapter 13 as a great beast rising up out of the sea with, you know, seven heads and ten horns and all of this, a, 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 a terrible beast. And, but we see God sending out against the dragon and against the beast just a little pet lamb, the lamb of God. God's lamb can take care of the dragon. God's lamb can take care of the beast. God's lamb has already done it. Come on, somebody. Amen. Thank God for the lamb of God. And John sees the lamb, the pet lamb, the small lamb, and it said that the lamb, he saw that he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out, uh, sent out to all the earth. In verse 6, it's, it's a lamb, but it's no ordinary lamb. This is 
is a special lamb. The lamb has seven horns and what that represents, it's symbolic of course, which represents omnipotence. Seven is the number of perfection and completeness. And so the lamb with seven horns, horns are the symbol of power. So it represents the all omnipotent power that is on the lamb, that, that the lamb possesses. The lamb has seven eyes, which is the omniscience. He is all-knowing. He is the lamb that Paul described when Paul said that he is Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is the lamb that John saw, the Lord Jesus Christ at the throne of God. Now notice what he does in verse 7. Notice what he does. John sees the lamb, and then in verse 7 it says, And then he, the Lord Jesus, the lamb, came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. On the throne is who? God the Father, right? Jesus is standing there. He walks over to the throne. God has this scroll, this deed to the earth in his right hand. And the lamb walks over to the throne because he is the one that is worthy. And he takes the scroll out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb slain is the only one who is found worthy to pay the price for the bankruptcy of mankind and it is he who comes to claim this title deed of the earth and can I tell you today he has the right to claim the title deed of the earth why he has the right by creation because he created the earth he made the earth in the beginning it is his. He has that right because of Calvary. He not only created it, but he bought it and redeemed it by his blood at the cross and he has the right also by conquest because he rose from the dead and defeated Satan and all the powers of darkness. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has prevailed and it is Jesus alone who is worthy to come and to take the book. The world is his and his rights to it are not going to be questioned at all. He is taking it back. Can I get an amen? He is taking it back. And you know the devil don't like to hear this kind of teaching. Because he don't want to, you know, he, he's in denial that he's been <laughs> defeated. He continues to usurp authority even though he's been defeated. But notice the worship of the chorus. The Lord Jesus takes the scroll from the hand of God. And verse 8, we're in verse 8 now, and it says that when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures... The 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and, a gold, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. This is going on in heaven, ladies and gentlemen. John is seeing, writing what he is seeing. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. Notice this here in verse 9. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Who are the ones that are redeemed by the blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation? It would be believers, wouldn't it? We're the only ones. Angels are not redeemed, only the believers out of the earth. Amen. You've redeemed us by your blood. Verse 10, and you've made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall rule and we shall reign on the earth. So the Lamb here is introduced, the Lamb of God, and immediately what takes place? When the Lamb of God is introduced, he goes over and takes the scroll from the hand of God. What happens then? Immediately... Worship is given to, to the Lamb. 
Immediately, worship is, he is worshiped as the focal po- point, the focal point of the universe. And all of them there, the Scripture says that they all, each one of the 24 elders, and we already have talked about who they represent, fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp. And so they're all, every one of them is given a harp to play. I can't play anything. I can barely play a radio. But one day, praise God, I'm going to get to play a harp. Amen. A harp was a ten-stringed instrument in Bible days. And you know what this tells me? Glory to God that there is music in heaven. There is music that accompanies the worship of God in heaven. All the 24 elders, I'm not talking about just floating around on a cloud somewhere, on a harp all for all eternity. Now I'm talking about a real place. We're on the sea of glass. We're on the th- floor of the throne room of Almighty God. We're before the throne of heaven. And all of the saints of God receive a harp. And we all begin to play. And we all begin to worship. All of these saints begin to worship before the throne of God. Thank God that heavenly worship includes music. Can I get an amen? They, they had music music in the Old Testament worship. They got music in heaven worship. Why in the world can't we have music in the church? I'm all for music in the church. Come on, amen. I believe it's a good part of our worship. They have harps and golden bowls full of incense. Sweet fragrance coming from the what is what are what is this incense? What are these? Says that the incense is what? The prayers of the saints. I don't know about you, but I love this because it tells you know what it tells me? Oh hallelujah. They've, they're each given golden bowls full of incense with that sweet fragrance coming up. And the incense are the prayers of the saints. Listen to me, church. Your, do you know this? Your prayers are precious to God. Your prayers. Oh, your prayers do never they never go go wasted they never are wasted your prayers are kept in bowls in heaven that's what this scripture's telling us amen prayers that you've prayed years and years and years and years ago that you've probably already forgot that you even prayed has anybody ever prayed a prayer and just kindly forgot about it and maybe years down the road something would happen and you'd remember i prayed about that a long time ago well god you might have forgot about it but god God hadn't forgot about it. That prayer was stored up in a bowl in heaven, and God never forgets those prayers. The prayers that you've prayed throughout your life. I'm gonna tell you, I can remember when 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 we first got saved and and we hadn't been married very long. We lived in a little old uh, house up on North Spanish Street down in Cape, and it was 70, it was the year of the flood, the 73 flood. I was just talking to Scott about that a while ago. But but, but we gotten saved, and I, God had put a desire in my heart to pray. We had a little old room in the back of that house, and I built me a little altar back there. It didn't have no doors on it. just had curtains to pull shut. But I had a little old altar. It wasn't a very big place at all. It was, it, was, it was my prayer closet. But I'd go back there and get on my knees, and I would pray. And you know what? To this day, I can't remember the prayers that I prayed in that room. That's been 50 years ago. But I almost, but I can tell you this. I can tell you this. Every one of those prayers, I can't remember them, but they're in a bowl in heaven. Hallelujah, God. They're still before the throne. They're still before Almighty God. They're a sweet savor to Him. All of those prayers, even the ones that those ones that I've forgotten, they're still on the active list. I said they're still on the active list. God knows all about them. This is supposed to be teaching night. I gotta get back. But that's the truth. It's a pleasant aroma to God. You know, David said in Psalm 141 and verse 2, he said, let my prayer be set before you as incense and the lifting up of my hand as the evening sacrifice. So these are prayers of believers from the church age who have been praying throughout the church age for 
God's kingdom to come. Isn't that how Jesus taught us to pray? In that model prayer, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done where? In earth as it is in heaven. And for centuries and millennia, those saints have been praying those prayers, and they're still up before God, and they're getting ready to be answered. They're getting ready. Oh, hallelujah. They're fixing to be answered. His kingdom is coming. His will is going to be done on the earth. And they begin to worship the Lord. And the worship song, it says they sing a new song, sang a new song in verse 9. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. They begin to play their harps, and they begin to sing. They begin to sing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. You are worthy. See, the Lord Jesus Christ is declared to be worthy because of his work of redemption. That is the theme, ladies and gentlemen, of the worship in heaven among the redeemed and among the redeemed on earth. That is the theme of our worship, that he has redeemed us. Amen. The theme of our worship tonight is not about money or prosperity or things or stuff. The theme of our worship on earth is just as it is in heaven. It is because he has redeemed us by his blood at Calvary's cross. That is why we sing. That is why we praise him. Amen. Hallelujah. And again, that group that is there, who is the only group? Who is the only group of people that can say what these said? That, that, that can say, you've redeemed us by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, and people and nation. The only group of people that can say that, ladies and gentlemen, is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only group can say that. Where are these people at? They are at the throne of God. Has the tribulation started yet? No. They're before the throne. Amen. Hallelujah. That This is the church in heaven. And it's in heaven in chapter 5 before the tribulation begins in chapter 6. Hallelujah. The glorified saints are praising God that they've been redeemed. And they're there in heaven before the throne of God before any seal is loosed before any antichrist is revealed hallelujah the worship begins to quickly escalate it begins here in heaven this is a worship service going on in heaven we're just about done this is a worship service going on in heaven it begins with the living creatures the Zoe, the elders, and then it expands to many angels. And notice it says that there was, in verse 11, he says, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was what? 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Oh, hallelujah. In the Greek, it's myriads of upon myriads, which means it's an innumerable company of people. 10,000 times 10,000 is what? A hundred million, is that right? A hundred million, and but that's not all. Not just a hundred million, but thousands of thousands on top of that. So it's trillions and trillions. And is there gazillions? I don't know. But 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 the point is this: that there's so many that John can't number them all, and they're all around the throne. There are angels. There is the elders 
which is the church. Hallelujah. There's the living creatures that are around the throne, those angelic beings. And they're all saying with a loud voice, with a loud, can you imagine the, 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 the noise that's in heaven? I think I told you last week, heaven's not going to be a quiet place. Oh, if you're looking for something quiet, you're not going to find it there. We just will get used to it. Amen. We just will start down here and get used to it. Hallelujah. With a loud voice, they're singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Hallelujah. What are these worshipers doing around the throne, church? They are praising the Lord Jesus Christ for his worthiness. This is the reason for our worship, because he is worthy. The word worship is from an old English word that means worth-ship. He is worth being praised and worshiped, and he is the only one that is. I'm not coming to church to praise him just so I can feel good. I'm not coming to church to praise and worship, worship him just to get something out of him. I'm coming to church and lifting my hands and worshiping him because he alone is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy to receive our praise and honor and glory and riches and wisdom and blessing. Hallelujah. The lamb is worthy. See, there isn't anyone up there trying to get these people to praise the Lord. There's no worship leader up here saying, come on, everybody stand up. There's no pastor up there saying, come on, let's lift our hands. Come on, let's say amen. Nobody has to lead this because when Jesus Christ steps out on the scene, they all fall down and they lay down their crowns and all begin to worship him with a loud voice. You shouldn't have to have somebody to pump you and prime you and coerce you into worshiping God if you know how worthy he is and what he's done for you. You are to be on your feet giving him worship and praise and honor and glory and blessing because he is worthy. It's okay if I preach just a little bit. Hallelujah. What a worship service. What a worship service. When they see the lamb and they understand that the scars in the body of this lamb was what he did for them at Calvary, they cannot help but worship him. They cannot contain their worship and their praise. And when you truly see Jesus and what he's done, you'll worship him. You won't be able to hold back from worshiping him because he alone is worthy. Oh, hallelujah. Listen, 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 listen. It, it, it's not just the angels. It's not just the living creatures around the throne. It's not just the raptured saints or the church in heaven. But look at verse 13. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. As this worship begins to reach its climax and its apex, hallelujah, what does it, what, what does it include? It says that every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, every creature under the earth, and those that are in the sea, all of them, every person, do you see what that's saying? Every person, every mammal, every bird, every reptile, every fish, every insect, every dog, every cat, every eagle, every parakeet, the gnats, and the mosquitoes, and the flies are all going to worship God because he is redeeming the earth back to its rightful ownership. The curse is getting ready. To be lifted. I don't know exactly what this is going to look like, folks. I don't know if all the dogs are just going to be rawr, 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 praising the Lord. I don't know if all the cats are just going to be meowing, praising the Lord. I don't know what the squirrels are going to be doing. I watch them run around my backyard every morning when I'm out there praying. I don't know what they, what, how this is going to look, but I do know what the Bible says. Brother Charlie, they're all going to be praising the Lord. 
Hallelujah. Maybe God's going to do like he did with Balaam's donkey. I don't know. Maybe they're all going to be talking. And they're all, they'll have the human voice coming out of them like Balaam's donkey did. And they're all going to be worshiping the Lord. I don't know. Don't know exactly when this is going to happen. But I do know that during the millennial reign and during the, the, the time of the new earth and eternity future on the earth that all of the animals and all of God's creation who have been under the bondage of this curse for this many years for all this time the earth is groaning the earth is moaning the earth is waiting for the, the for the redemption of the manifestation of the sons of God the earth is waiting the animals are waiting and the curse is getting ready to be lifted and the Bible said in the millennium that even the trees are going to clap their hands for joy the earth will rejoice Jesus is getting ready to do something about the devil. I thought he already did. He has. But he's going to finish the completion of the redemption that's paid for at the cross. It's going to be brought to fulfillment. Hallelujah. And it's getting ready to begin. Amen. Amen. I believe the literal fulfillment of this, we read those verses Sunday when I preached on the name of Jesus, where Paul said that the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue confess of those in heaven, of those in earth, and of those under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then the, the last verse, this great worship service is going on, and all of heaven and all of earth is praising the Lamb. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped Him who lives forever and ever. Amen means yes, so be it. And that's all we can say to this worship is yes, yes, so be it. All this praise in heaven is the result of the Lamb taking the scroll from the Father's right hand. It's an act that indicates the final part of God's eternal plan for redemption of all creation is about to be accomplished one day soon, one day soon, these seals will be broken when the eternal kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, will redeem the earth and all creation. We should all be saying with those four living creatures tonight, we should all be saying, Amen. Yes, so be it. We should all be saying, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. I'm ready. I'm ready. And ladies and gentlemen, we are so close. We are so close. Those who've received Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior and you've been redeemed by His blood will be numbered among those that are pictured here in Revelation chapter 5. All of us here tonight that are saved, this is futuristic. This is future. This will take place after the rapture. All of us are going to be in this crowd in that 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. We're going to be there. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That's something to shout about. Hallelujah. And these two chapters that we've studied these last two weeks, Revelation 4 and 5, gives us the heavenly side of the picture. This is what's going on in heaven. At the rapture, just right after it. But Revelation 6, we'll hit next week, shows the earthly side of what will be going on and will be happening on the earth. You know, it's hard to leave... It's hard to leave Revelation 4 and 5. I love these two chapters. It's hard to leave these two chapters because we're going to go from the throne room to all the mess that's going to be taking place on the earth after the rapture of the church. The church 
you know, it, when we get into this, now, when we get into this next week, we have to understand a lot of things that will be said that are not pleasant to talk about but are going to happen. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that we must think of. Number one, we're going to be gone if you know Jesus. We're not going to be a part of that. But here's something else. We got friends and we got loved ones and we got family members that if they don't make things right with the Lord, they are going to be here to go through that. So we got to think about both of those scenarios as we go through this next week. But I'm looking for Jesus to come back for his church. Talked to a guy a couple of weeks ago, and he asked me if I ever studied Revelation. I said, I'm teaching on it at church right now. And so we talked a little bit about it, and he said, first thing he said, he said, are you pre-trib or post-trib? I wanted to tell him, just like I tell y'all, I'm so, I'm so pre-trib, I don't even eat post-toasties. Praise God. <laughs> I said, I'm pre-trib. Well, he wasn't. He said, well, I'm post-trib. We didn't get into a debate about it, anything like that, because he ain't going to change my mind. I'm not, I'm not staying for that mess. I'm not, I'm not appointed to wrath. Come on, somebody. The Bible says we're not appointed to wrath, but to escape the things that are coming on this earth if we know Christ, if we're ready. But... A lot of people are getting interested in what's going on in the world today, getting, getting interested in what, what is happening. But by all means, Jesus, you know, over and over, he said, watch. Watch. Be ready. You don't want to miss it. Could happen tonight. Could happen tonight. I'm ready. How about you? Woo, I want to see this throne room, man. I want, to, I want to stand on that, on that sea of glass and see this throne room and see the Lamb slain and praise and worship Him. Let's stand tonight.